0: All right. Well we are back in the book of Luke today. And we're gonna pick up where we left off, chapter ten. And this morning I'm gonna be reading the passage that begins at verse twenty five and ends at verse thirty seven. So this is Luke's good news, 10th chapter, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly, Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two days worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And the lawyer said. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him. You go. And do likewise. What must I do. To inherit eternal life. Luke tells us that a lawyer stands up. And he asks Jesus this question. To put him to the test. So in other words we get the impression that the lawyer is someone who believes. He knows the answer to the question that he's asking. And he's putting it to Jesus to see how the Lord would respond. And a lawyer in this context is someone who would be well versed in. The Old Testament scriptures because that was the basis for law in ancient Palestine if you were a Jew. And so Jesus puts the question back to the lawyer and he says, well, what have you read? As far as you know, how would you answer that question? And he says, you love God with everything that you have. Everything that you are. And you love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells the lawyer that he has answered correctly. That love is the pledge of our divine inheritance. But I think more accurately we could also say that love is our divine inheritance. There was a story that was written a long time ago in which a man described his journey through the circles of hell and then ultimately through the spheres of heaven. And while he was on the journey, he started talking to his guide about this idea of inheritance. Because here on the earth... The way inheritance works is the more children that a couple has, the less each individual child will inherit. So with every child that's brought into the family, every other child's inheritance is diminished. But he realized that in heaven it was exactly the opposite. That in the kingdom of God, the more people there were, the richer everyone was. And he asked his guide, why is this? And the answer was basically because the more people there are to love, the more you have to love. And the richer you become. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine several years back when she was talking about just the intense floodgates of love that opened up in her heart when her first grandchild was born. And I can believe it because my parents are now grandparents. And, you know, the grandchild's picture starts to replace (laughs) your picture on the wall. And when they come to visit, they're not really interested in seeing you. And... She was just talking about this love being so intense that when she discovered that her daughter was pregnant with the second grandchild, she actually became concerned, legitimately concerned, because she thought to herself, I just don't think I'm going to have anything left to give the second grandchild. I love the first one so much. But she discovered that she was wrong that when that second grandchild came, not only did her love for the first one not diminish one hair's breadth, but there was a new fountain of love that she had for the second grandchild. It's not like our hearts are just storehouses, but they are rooted in the infinite and eternal God. And that is what truly makes a man rich. Rich. The man who loves the most is the richest man. The woman who loves the most is the richest woman. Jesus said, do this and you will live. But the lawyer wasn't content to leave the discussion there. He wanted to justify himself. Which means he wanted to show... That he was doing all that he needed to do according to the law. That he was in the right. But he was doing it by narrowly defining the word neighbor. You see, if I make that word narrow enough, I can justify myself. I can say that I'm loving God And loving my neighbor, if my neighbor only includes, say, my closest friends, my family. In the case of this lawyer, he was probably just thinking of the Jewish nation. And in his mind, he was within the boundaries of God's people so long as he was loving his neighbor, meaning the ethnic Jews. And... This is something which is very important because Jesus addresses this. And he tells us in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. And then in Luke chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Plain. That when we think about God we need to realize. That God sends his sunlight on the just And the unjust. That he sends his reign. On the righteous. And the wicked. And that he is generous. To both the grateful. And the ungrateful. That this was the grace of God. Manifested in the world. And Jesus was making the point. That God's children. Are like. Their father. There's three characters that we encounter in this parable. And by the way, and just in case people are curious, and they sometimes are, this is a bit of a side note, where I'm getting my information. It primarily comes from N.T. Wright's book, Jesus and the Victory of God, and his commentary on the Gospel of Luke. We encounter a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Now, the priest, as you could probably work out for yourselves, were the official teachers of the Hebrew people. And the Levites were the servants of the priest. And equally important, the priests and the Levites were entrusted with all of the official duties that were associated with the worship of Israel's God, Yahweh. It was entrusted to them and them alone. So they were in charge of the temple sacrifices. They were the ones entrusted with the maintenance of the vessels of the temple. The lampstands, the bread of presence, the altars. All of that belonged to the priests and the Levites. And they were supposed to be par excellence representatives of the people of God. Samaritans, on the other hand, were despised by the Jews. And I talked about this at some length when I was preaching out of Luke chapter 9. So I don't really want to repeat Everything I said on that occasion. But let's just say that the Jews and the Samaritans were involved in a long standing cultural feud. And they did not like each other. They did not get along. They weren't supposed to be neighbors. Samaritan was a word that a Jewish person could use to insult somebody else. And all three of these individuals had an excuse to leave this Jew, we're assuming that it's a Jew that Jesus is talking about, who was beaten up and left half dead and walk on the other side of the road. Because a priest or a Levite could not touch a corpse without becoming ceremonially unclean. And if they became ceremonially unclean, they would be unable to fulfill their official duties, at least for a period of time. And so they could very well have used that as an excuse to leave the man alone and say, well, I didn't know if he was alive or dead, and I can't touch a corpse because that would make me unclean. The Samaritan didn't have a religious excuse, but he had this cultural excuse that we're talking about. I mean, imagine someone from the Ku Klux Klan that dons his robes and he's getting ready to go out to a Klan meeting and he gets beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road. And then Martin Luther King Jr. comes walking along and sees him there on the side of the road. And many of us might think that he would be justified in just leaving him there and carrying on. And unfortunately, that is seemingly our default mindset when misfortunes happen to people that we don't get along with. We're very tempted to think to ourselves, well, he got what he deserved. She got what was coming to her. And surprisingly. It's this Samaritan of all people. Who has compassion. On the Jew. And it's very important that we understand. What Jesus is saying. When he tells us that this Samaritan. Was neighbor. To the Jew. He's opening up. The boundaries of the kingdom of God here. He's showing the Jews that it wasn't their own personal inheritance. And he was also showing that for all of their knowledge and even though they were entrusted with the worship of God, the priest and the Levite were not a neighbor. To the Jew who had fallen among thieves. And you wonder what happened to the lawyer. When he left this conversation with Jesus. Because if he said to himself. Alright very well. I have to redefine neighbor. And I have to understand that neighbor includes my enemy. And people that I dislike. So I'm going to do what Jesus called me to do and I am going to love them. And if the lawyer is anything like me, what he probably encountered was failure. Because it's very difficult to be generous to the ungrateful. It's very difficult to show kindness to people who have taken advantage of us. It's very difficult to be a neighbor to an enemy. And what do you do when you realize, God, I do not love my enemies. God, I hardly even love my friends the way that I'm supposed to love them What are we to do? And the only thing that we can do. Is come to Jesus. The Apostle Paul. Tells us that the law is our schoolmaster. It doesn't teach us how righteous we are. It teaches us how incomplete we are. And I liked the prayer of George Herbert that he wrote. In a poem many years ago when he said, Lord, restore thine image. Hear my call. And though my hard heart scarce to thee can groan. Remember that thou once didst write in stone. We have to take our hardened hearts and we have to put them on the altar of love. And we have to say, God... Change my heart. Open my eyes to the humanity in all people, including my enemies. Because Jesus said it's God's good pleasure to give us the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God. And we don't have to worship him or obey him out of a spirit of fear, but out of the spirit of God's own son that causes us to cry out to him and call him father But the righteous shall live by faith, and we can trust that when we pray to God, that He will hear us and that He will grow us into the new creations that He's calling us to be. If I don't love my enemies, the first step is to recognize that I don't and lay it at the throne of grace. But by and by we will come into our inheritance. Of eternal life. And we will come to this stage. Where we realize. The power and riches. Of God's glory. And his love that he's given to us. And we will see. That we need to be neighbor. To everyone. Including our enemies. Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven. We thank you for each other and we thank you for the life that you've given each individual person here this morning and we pray that you would touch our hearts we pray that you would give us the grace to be moved by your thoughts We pray that your thoughts would be our thoughts. And that your loves would be our loves. That you are our God and you are our Father. We trust in you, we bless you, and we thank you for all that you are. For being our hope and our wisdom and our strength. Help us to remember you throughout the rest of this day. By the power of Jesus' name we pray. Amen.